Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here, and we're excited you're here for week two of our Christmas series, Expect the Unexpected. And every single weekend, we have family joining us from our Stone Canyon campus, as well as others who join us online. So if you would, put your hands together and give them a warm welcome as we study God's Word. Well, Christmas is definitely a season full of traditions, and I'm sure all of us have our own traditions that we carry out this time of year. And so when you hear the phrase, Christmas tradition, what comes to mind? Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is this. I grew up in church, so every single year, my family, we would go to church, we would worship together during the Christmas season. Now, we would worship throughout the year, not just during Christmas, but this was always a special time because this is the season we set aside to celebrate and honor, recognize the birth of Jesus. And so my family, we were always in church during the Christmas season. And this is a picture from our services last year. It was awesome, and we encourage you also to be with our church family as we get closer to December 25th. But there are some other things that come to mind when people think of the Christmas season and traditions. Maybe this comes to mind, Christmas lights. My family, we love driving around and looking at Christmas lights, especially throughout Owasso. I tell you what, some people around here really go all out when it comes to Christmas lights. And that's awesome because my lights, you know what they look like right now? They look like... Well, maybe if I can get these up. They look like this in a big knot because I am terrible at decorating. I hate to do it. I cannot do it well. So I just enjoy everybody else's lights. And we will drive around town and look at the lights and my kids get all excited. It's free entertainment. It's awesome. Maybe this comes to mind when you think about Christmas traditions. Decorating a Christmas tree. Maybe every single year your family gets together. You put up the ornaments and lights and it's always a lot of fun. Maybe you think about this, getting together with family and having a meal. I bet some of you guys you've gone to the same house for your Christmas dinner for the past like 20, 30 years. Same time, same people there. Maybe the family gets bigger and bigger and changes a little bit, but still, you meet every single year, same time, same place, because that's just a Christmas tradition. What about exchanging gifts? Anybody like that? Some of you guys like to give gifts. Some of you like to receive gifts. Some of you like to do both. That's another Christmas tradition that probably most of us enjoy besides the cost that comes along with it, but still, we enjoy that. What about this? Anybody enjoy listening to Christmas music? Let me see a show of hands. Anybody like Christmas music? My family, they love Christmas music. Allison, the kids, they listen to it all the time. I got in Allison's car the other day, and I turned it on, and Christmas music was blaring. I mean, it was just so loud. Now, I'm okay with Christmas music. It's not my favorite genre of music. I mean, I can listen to it, but by the time the season's over, I'm finished with Christmas music. I'm done with it, but not Allison. Somebody said amen over here. They're with me on that, but not Allison and the kids. They can listen to it all the time, and I get it. I understand it because there are some songs that only come on once a year, like this classic song right here. Grandma got run Sing over along. by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve yeah, you guys don't like it either. That's fine. Uh, uh, do you? <laughs> but yeah, Christmas music. People enjoy listening to songs like that, apparently, this time of year. Another thing that's real popular, a huge trend, especially in recent years, is to get Christmas sweaters and sweatshirts that are 
gaudy or look like this one right here. And this one somebody brought me the other day, and it says, We hiss you a meowy Christmas, or Catmas, sorry, a meowy Catmas. Now, I have no idea why anybody would put demons on a shirt, I mean cats on a shirt like this. I have no idea why they would do that. I don't like cats, if you can't tell. But you may, and I'm sorry if I just offended you, but this, this sweatshirt is hideous, but it's even worse. It actually makes noise. Are you ready? I don't think you can make a worse sweatshirt than this one right here, honestly. It's bad, but that's a trend for sure. There's a lot of different images, a lot of different things that come to mind when we think of Christmas traditions. But you know something else that comes to my mind? This right here. Luggage. Traveling. You know why? Because ever since I was a little kid, my family has always traveled for Christmas. I had one set of grandparents that lived in a different town than us, and then another set of grandparents that lived in a totally different town. And so we would have our family Christmas early with my mom and dad and my brother, and then on Christmas Eve, we would travel to my dad's parents and celebrate with that side of the family. Then on Christmas Day, we'd travel to my mom's family and celebrate with them, and we did this every single year. We spent Christmas Eve and Christmas Day on the road, traveling. It's something that we just got kind of got used to. But I remember at one point when I got a little bit older, I thought, you know, when I grow up and get married and have my own kids, I'm not going to travel for Christmas. I'm not going to do that. And then we moved to Oklahoma, and we live like 10 and a half hours away. So guess what? If we want to see family, we're going to have to travel because they're not coming to us. Hint, 10, if they're watching online right now, they're not coming to us. So guess what? Traveling has just become part of our Christmas tradition as a family as well. And what's interesting to me is that when you study the Christmas story in Scripture, traveling has been part of the Christmas story from the very beginning. I mean, Mary and Joseph, they traveled to Bethlehem because there was a census being taken. The shepherds traveled from their fields to where Mary and Joseph was to see the baby Jesus. Mary and Joseph later traveled to Jerusalem in order to present Jesus at the temple. They will later leave and go to Egypt to escape King Herod. A lot of traveling. But the biggest journey that anyone took during the Christmas, in the period of where we celebrate Christmas, or the period that we call the Christmas story, were some men that came from the east. And they traveled thousands of miles to come and see Jesus and worship him. And here's the thing. We've just always given these guys their place in the Christmas story because we've seen nativity sets with them in it over and over again. And we've seen Christmas plays where they have a role. We've just always kind of given them their place. But for the first readers who are reading Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, they would have been shocked that these guys came and visited this newborn king. These unexpected visitors, Matthew tells us about them in Matthew chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me. And this is what the scripture says, Matthew 2 starting at verse 1. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. 
Let's pause right there for a second. Look at this opening line in chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, what's our time frame here? Actually, the event that we're going to look at today took place about two years after Jesus was born. See, Mary and Joseph, they find out that they're pregnant. The angel come and tells them, tells them both. And then they travel to Bethlehem. But Bethlehem's not where they're from. They're from the city of Nazareth. So they travel to Bethlehem because the government is conducting this census. And so they have to go to Bethlehem in order to be counted. So they go to Bethlehem, and while they're there, they while they're there, Jesus is born. And what they decide to do is just to stay there. Bethlehem is a growing little town, and so they decide to stay there. Uh, Joseph ends up being a carpenter there in town, makes a living there, Mary adjusts to community life there, and they raise their young family there in the town of Bethlehem. And they stay there for about two years, and after being there for two years, that's when these visitors show up. That's when these visitors come to see Jesus, and not just see him, they come to worship him. And Magi refers, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew refers to these guys as Magi from the East. And these are kind of mysterious figures in a way because Matthew doesn't tell us a whole lot about these guys. But for most of us, it's probably not shocking that they're part of the Christmas story. Because again, we've seen nativity set after nativity set where the Magi are there. We've seen Christmas play after Christmas play, Christmas movie after Christmas movie, where the Magi are there. But for most of Matthew's first readers, these Jews that were reading this for the very first time, they would have been shocked that the Magi came to visit Jesus. No one would have expected them to come and see Jesus. Now, we're not shocked by that. A lot of people are shocked to find out, though, that the Magi actually came two years after Jesus was born because in our nativity sets, the Magi are right there beside the shepherds and the angels. But honestly, they were not all there at the same time. The shepherds came when Jesus was first born. The Magi came two years later. Last year when we were preaching through the Christmas story, if you'll remember, I talked about Allison, my wife, how when we set up a manger scene or nativity set in our house, we actually put the shepherds away from everyone else. We put some distance in between them. I'm sorry, we put the Magi somewhere else. We put some distance between the Magi and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and Jesus because we want everybody to see the Magi that they came at a different time. And sometimes people ask, why are your Magi? Why are your wise men over there in the corner? Because we want to have an opportunity to tell them the real story of Jesus' birth. So some people are shocked to find out that the Magi came at a later time, two years later, when Jesus is like a toddler, not a baby. But again, they're not shocked that he's there, that he's part of the Christmas story, because we've just always given them their place in the story. But in order for us to understand the shock that Matthew's first readers would have had when they found out about the Magi coming to visit Jesus, I think we have to understand who these Magi really were. Now, Matthew doesn't give us a whole lot of detail about them. And so, over the course of church history, people have tried to fill in the blanks. For one thing, people decided at some point that there were three magi. Now, the Bible actually doesn't tell us how many magi came and visited Jesus. It doesn't give us a number. People came up with the number three because they presented Jesus with three gifts. But actually, we don't know how many came. 
I assume there were probably a lot more than three because in this day and age, travel was rough. And they traveled thousands of miles across rough terrain with bad weather. And they were in danger of bandits and thieves and robbers and all those people that would try to steal from them. I've got a feeling there's probably a huge group that traveled uh, with these magi. So there were probably more than three that came to see Jesus. But somewhere along the line, somebody said there were three of them. And also, when you look at our nativity sets today, most of the time, the magi are portrayed as kings. You know, they're wearing crowns and robes and all that stuff, but they weren't kings. This term magi refers to an office within a king's court. These were men who served kings, but they weren't kings themselves. So I know that, you know, kind of ruins the old song, We Three Kings, but still, they weren't kings. They were servants of kings. But not only that, somebody during the course of church history decided that these three magi, which again there weren't three, but they assumed there were three, needed names because we need to know who these guys were. So they gave them names and this is what they named them, Gaspar, Melchior, and Belthazar. Now aren't those names just rolled off the tip of your tongue? I mean, aren't those just great? I don't know who came up with those names, but I would have rather them called Huey, Dewey, and Louie, honestly. I would rather them be called that because, you know, those names are easier to say and you can remember them and that's just as biblical as calling them these other names. We don't know their names. Matthew doesn't give us a whole lot of detail about these guys. But I believe what Matthew does tell us is enough. And it's pretty powerful, actually. See, this term magi is a term that dates back 700 years before the time of Jesus. And it describes a group of intellectually gifted men who advised and counseled kings. These were men who were well-educated in the sciences and philosophy and medicine, extremely well-educated. And so they would give advice, wisdom, to kings when kings needed it. Thus, they got the nickname wise men. These were influential men in a king's kingdom. They actually served in the king's court. They got paid very well. They were extremely wealthy, and they had a lot of power. Moms in the East would have loved for their little boys to grow up to be magi. It was a very prestigious, powerful role within a king's court. So just to understand who these guys were, here's a quick summary. First of all, magi, they were counselors, advisors to kings. They were well-educated. They were wealthy, influential, and well-respected. And lastly, they were foreigners. And that last description is extremely important. They were from the east, meaning they weren't Jews. They weren't of the Jewish race. They were foreigners. They served kings who did not know the one true God. They served kings who did not know that there was a Jewish Messiah coming. They served in kingdoms where the citizens had no idea about Yahweh God. They served kingdoms where the people were not anticipating or expecting a long-awaited Messiah. But yet these guys apparently knew that there was a Messiah coming. Why? Well, we're going to get to that in just a moment. But before we do, I think these men are included in the story of Jesus' birth for a couple reasons. And one reason is a truth that I found out a long time ago. And it's this. Sometimes the most unexpected people come to worship Jesus. Sometimes the most unexpected, unlikely people end up worshiping Jesus following him. And you know why that is? 
Because they figure out, they discover at some point in their lives that Jesus has what they're missing. And I think that's the case for these magi. They had a lot of wealth. They had a ton of possessions. They had influence. They had power and prestige. They had all the comforts of this life. And yet they were willing to risk it all, travel across rough terrain, face bad weather, face bandits and thieves and robbers and all that kind of stuff. They were willing to leave their post back in the east and travel at great expense. Why? Because apparently Jesus had something they didn't have. Apparently, Jesus could give them something that the world couldn't. And so they were willing to travel in order to meet him. Now, the reverse is also true. Yes, sometimes the most unexpected people come to worship Jesus, but sometimes those you would naturally expect to worship Jesus never do. Sometimes the people that you would expect to worship Jesus end up not worshiping him. And that's honestly what we see happening as we read on in Matthew chapter 2. So if you want to pick up with me in verse 2, let's read the rest of this account. And it says, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? The Magi ask this question as they go to Jerusalem, the capital city of the Jewish people, the city of God, Jerusalem. They get there and they ask, where's your king? Where's the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, King Herod is the current king of the Jews. That's his title. And he's upset because there's another king. Wait a second. I'm king. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, the religious guys, he asked them where, is the Christ, where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. I want you to notice something. These religious guys, the religious leaders, they know all the prophecies about the coming Messiah. In their heads, they know all the scripture about the Messiah. They know him well intellectually. That's about it. Read on here. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Hit pause again. Herod really doesn't want to worship Jesus. He wants to eliminate Jesus because he's a threat to his power. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, What's even more surprising to me than these magi coming to worship Jesus, coming to see and visit Jesus, what's even more surprising to me than these outsiders coming to see him is that no one else from Jerusalem came with them. Did you catch that? 
They show up in the city of God where the temple of God is located, where all the chief priests and the religious people are, this place where sacrifices to God were offered day in and day out, where God's law was taught day in and day out, where the supposed king of the Jews, the political leader of God's people is located. They show up in the city of God, Jerusalem, and no one goes with these magi to worship Jesus to seek him. Here's a map of this area. And if you notice, here's Bethlehem in red, and there's Jerusalem right above it. Now, there's, a much, there's about that much space in between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Now, it's a little bit further away than this, but this represents five and a half miles. Five and a half miles in between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And here's the thing, it was a good road. And that day, it was a great road to travel on. Five and a half miles. These magi traveled thousands of miles, and they traveled across rough terrain, and they faced bad weather and bandits and thieves and robbers and all that kind of stuff in order to go and worship Jesus. And they get to Jerusalem, and they say, hey, your long way to Messiah is five and a half miles away. And no one from Jerusalem goes with them. Why? Well, I think the same reason why no one went with the Magi to worship Jesus and honor him, celebrate him, is the same reason why a lot of people in our culture today, and for that matter throughout the history of the church, have put off worshiping Jesus like they should. And here's the first reason. Sometimes we feel threatened by Jesus. See, sometimes we feel threatened by Jesus because Jesus came not just to be a baby in a manger. He also came to be our Lord. See, that baby grew up to defeat death, to defeat sin, and he has now been declared ruler over all. He's the Lord of all creation. And we don't always like that because when we have a Lord, it means we have somebody to tell us what to do. And we don't want anybody telling us what to do. We don't want anybody upsetting the status quo. And we start to feel threatened by Jesus because he might shake things up in our lives. He might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I think that was the situation for Herod. See, King Herod, he had the title King of the Jews. But in all reality, he wasn't king of anything. See, this position, king of the Jews, was an appointed position. The Romans appointed the king of the Jews, and basically like being the governor over a region. That's what Herod was. And so if the Romans thought at any point that Herod couldn't govern the people well or that somebody else could do it better, they would just kick him out of office or they would have him eliminated. So they could remove Herod at any point, and Herod knew that. So do you know what Herod did in order to keep his power, keep his control? He himself eliminated any threat to his power. According to historians, Herod had one of his brother-in-laws murdered because he thought he was a threat to his power. He had one of his wives killed. He had his mother-in-law killed. He even had some of his own children, his own sons, murdered because he thought they might be a threat to his control, to his power, to his way of life. Emperor Augustus once said of Herod, he said, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son because if Herod thought for a moment that you were going to threaten his power and his control, he got rid of you. 
And that's why King Herod secretly calls the Magi in and he says, hey, if you find out where this child is exactly, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. Herod did not want to worship Jesus at all. What did he want to do? He wanted to find the child so he could go and he could eliminate Jesus. Because those who love power and control get very nervous when their power and control is threatened. Now, we may not be as crazy as Herod was. But the spirit of Herod, the attitude of Herod, still exists among us today. Because Herod's attitude is this. It's the attitude that says, hey, we love baby Jesus. Baby Jesus is cool because baby Jesus is in a manger and babies aren't threatening. They're cute and they're cuddly and we just love baby Jesus. But we don't like the grown-up Jesus so much. Because the grown-up Jesus, well, he ends up like defeating death and now he's Lord over all and we don't want anybody telling us what to do. We're fine with the baby Jesus, but the grown-up Jesus... That's a different story. Anybody ever seen the movie Talladega Nights? Remember when they're all sitting around the dinner table and they start praying to sweet baby Jesus, you know, dear Lord baby Jesus. They keep calling him baby Jesus. Finally somebody says, you know Jesus grew up to be an adult, right? And the Will Ferrell character says, but I like the baby Jesus the best. He's my favorite Jesus. I hate to break it to Will Ferrell, but there's only one Jesus. And that same baby who was born grew up to be the Savior of all, the Lord of all. And we can't separate him, but yet some people want to. And I wonder if that's not why some people in our culture love this time of year where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but then the rest of the year they don't give him any attention at all. They like the baby Jesus, but the adult Jesus, the one who defeats sin and death, well, he's going to ask too much of them. And here's the thing about Herod. Herod tried to keep his control, he fought to keep his power, and yet Herod was miserable his entire life. Historians tell us that he died a depressed, miserable person who had no friends, no family near him, and his own people hated him. You know how much he was hated? A few days before Herod died, he issued a decree that on his death, on the day of his death, he wanted for the, for the soldiers to bring out, his own soldiers to bring out uh, the, dis- the distinguished men from the community and have them murdered in the streets so that there would be grieving and wailing and crying on the day of his death. Herod was crazy. He was sick. And he wanted all this power and all this control, but he died a lonely, depressed, paranoid man. And I just wonder how different Herod's life may have ended up if instead of trying to eliminate Jesus, he actually went and worshipped him. Now other people, they put off worshipping Jesus because they're afraid that Jesus might expose them. See, sometimes we fear being exposed by Jesus. And I think that was the religious leaders in our passage here today. Because it's interesting to me, if anybody should have been excited about the coming of Messiah, it should have been the religious leaders. I mean, they're the ones who knew all the prophecies about Jesus, all the scripture. They knew book, chapter, and verse about the passages that describe this coming Messiah and what he was supposed to do. If anybody should have been excited about the coming Messiah, it should have been the religious leaders. And yet... They seem not to want to have anything to do with him. 
None of them go with the Magi to worship Jesus. Why? Because as you read on in the story of Jesus' life, Jesus exposes these guys for who they really are. See, these guys were phonies. They were fakes. They practiced their religion very well, but on the inside, their hearts were far from God. In fact, Jesus even says about these guys in Matthew 15, verse 8, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Hey, they can wear a religious mask well. They can put on a religious show well. But on the inside, they're far from God. And some people don't want to get too close to Jesus because they're afraid Jesus might expose who they really are. That's true not just for those who put on a religious show. It's also true for people who put on other types of shows. There are other people who don't want anybody to know who they really are on the inside. And so they put on a show. They wear a mask to look like somebody else. They present a false image to everyone else around them because they don't want anybody to know who they really are. But see, Jesus always knows who we are on the inside. And what I have found out over time, and I had to find this out the hard way, is that God can't heal what I hide. Jesus came to save us. He came to rescue us. He came to heal our broken lives. But God can't heal what I hide. I have to be open and transparent and honest with him so that he can come in and work in my life the way that he wants to. But then sometimes people keep their distance from Jesus because they just feel like they don't have time for Jesus. They don't worship him like they should. They don't honor him like they should because they just feel like they don't have time for him. And I wonder if this isn't the people who live in Jerusalem right now because they're living busy lives they're trying to keep Herod happy. They're trying to obey all the laws. They're trying to make a living. They've got a lot going on right now. And times really aren't good for the Jewish people. They're just honestly trying to survive. And they've been waiting for this Jewish Messiah to come forever. And it's been hundreds of years and he still hasn't come. Maybe they've given up hope and they say, hey, we don't have time to worry about that. We just have too much going on to worry about that. And this time of year, I think we can relate to that. We can identify with that because we're busy this time of year, aren't we? We have a lot going on. I mean, there are parties to go to and there are events to attend and plans to make and presents to buy. There's a lot going on. And sometimes we just get so busy, we're just trying to keep our head above water, we just feel like we don't have time for Jesus. And I think that may have been the case for some of the people living in Jerusalem because they honestly just don't seem to care. The coming Messiah wasn't a priority for them. So I don't know what state you're in right now. I don't know if you feel kind of intimidated by Jesus. I don't know if you're afraid to be exposed by him. I don't know if you're at the point where you feel like you don't have time for him. I don't know where you are right now, but I do know one thing. When you finally embrace Jesus, he will fill your life with hope. He does every single time. And that was the case for the Magi because they knew Jesus had what they couldn't earn, what they couldn't get on their own. A few months ago, my family had the chance to go to Disney World in Orlando. We went to a conference there, and we stayed a few days later and went to Disney World, and I've talked about that in sermons. It was a fun trip. But one thing that Allison and I did before we actually entered the gates of Disney was we told our kids, we will buy you one gift apiece, and we put a limit on it of $25 because we didn't want to spend too much money. And we quickly found out once we got into Disney that... $25 goes nowhere, but it's very expensive. But we were looking around, and Alex found him something that would work. And so then we were looking for Addie. Of course, she's two and a half, and so she didn't always know what she wanted. 
But we were in one Disney store and she came across a beast stuffed animal, like from Beauty and the Beast. Now what you need to know about my daughter, about Addie, is that her favorite Disney movie is Beauty and the Beast. Her favorite princess is Belle. She loves Beauty and the Beast. And she has a, a, a Belle doll, a beauty doll, but she, doesn't, she didn't have a beast. And so when she saw this beast in this store, she just went nuts. And she grabbed it and she hugged it and she started saying, my beast, my beast, my beast. And so I then looked at it and looked at the price tag. It was $50. And I thought, there is no way that I'm going to spend $50 on a stuffed animal. No way, not going to do it. But she just kept carrying it around the store. My beast, my beast, my beast. Has a little sweet, innocent look on her face. And so I kept trying to find her something else, like, hey, don't you want this little Dumbo instead that's $25? Or don't you want this Mickey Mouse or whatever? She was not interested. She wanted this beast stuffed animal. So I even went to one of the Disney workers. I was like, hey, do you guys sell a smaller beast? And they said, no, this is the only beast we carry right now. So I'm like, well, great. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I knew I wasn't going to spend $50 on a stuffed animal. So finally, we got done shopping, and I went up to Addie, and I grabbed the beast, and I said, Addie, we can't take this with us right now. We'll have to get you a beast later, but right now we can't get this one. It's too expensive. I'm sorry. And she looked at me and gave me this look like I was the worst person on the face of the planet. And we came back to Oklahoma with that beast. We brought it back with us. And you know what? I don't regret it one bit. Because one, I made her happy, but two, she takes that beast with her everywhere she goes. She loves it. She sleeps with it. She travels with it. She loves that beast. It is her favorite toy. And so I love seeing her so excited, so happy about it. But just a few days ago, we were parked in the driveway, one of our friends talking to them. And she had that beast stuffed animal because we left Alex and Addie in the car. And we were just standing outside the car because it was cold. And they were inside staying warm. And she got a hold of an ink pen. And she started to color all over that beast. And she got ink all over his clothes. And I remember when we got back in the car and we saw it. I was like, oh, Addie, what'd you do? And she didn't realize what she had done. So Mealy, she started to take her hand and like try to rub out the ink as if it was a dry erase board or something. But that didn't work. And once she realized that she couldn't get the ink out, she started to cry. And she was really upset. So we got back to the house, and Alice and I immediately started to Google what to do to take out ink. And so we got some rubbing alcohol and hairspray and different things that they say to do. And eventually, Alice and I got the ink out. And we had a friend that came over soon after we got the ink out, and they had heard about it. And so they looked at the beast of the animal, and this friend turned to Addie and said, Did you get that ink out? And Addie immediately put her head down and just shook it no. And this person said, Well, how did the ink get out? And Addie looked at Allison and me and just had this grin on her face as if my mommy and daddy did it. I couldn't do it, but my mommy and daddy did it. And guys, that's why Jesus came. God gave us this beautiful life, this awesome life that we didn't deserve. He gave us this life to live. You know what we did with it? We messed it up. We marked it up with sin. We ruined it. And we realized what we had done, and we tried to get it out ourselves, but the harder we tried, the worse it got. We couldn't get the stain of sin off of our lives. And so God came on the scene in the form of a man, Jesus. 
and said, I'll get it out for him because I have the power, I have the ability to do it. See, I think that's why the Magi were willing to risk their lives. They were willing to make that long journey because they realized that even with all the stuff they had, all the power, all the influence, all the prestige, all the money, all the wealth, all the status, they had made a mess of their lives and nothing that they did on their own could get their life to what it should be. They needed help beyond themselves and they knew the one who had been born king of the Jews could give them what they needed. That's why I always say Jesus' birth, it gives meaning to my birth. Jesus' birth brings meaning to my birth because I know I've messed up this life that God gave me, but because Jesus was born, my life can be restored again. And guys, that's the message that so many people needed to hear, and that's why the Magi made the trip that they made. See, it's interesting to me that we really don't know a whole lot about the Magi. We really don't know their names. We don't know what country they're from. We don't know what kings they served. We don't know a whole lot about the Magi, but the one thing we do know about them is that they worshiped Jesus. And honestly, that's all that really matters in the end. If I get to the end of my life and the only thing that I am known for is that I worshiped Jesus, then I'm the biggest winner of all because that's all that matters. All the money, all the prestige, all the wealth, all the stuff that this world has to offer, it doesn't matter in the end. The only thing that matters is if you sought Jesus and you worshiped him as Lord. And I think that's why the Magi are included in this passage. Because they will worship Christ and their lives were filled with hope that this world couldn't offer them. Now here's the thing. We still haven't answered one question. How did the Magi know to look for the Messiah, for Jesus, the one born King of the Jews? Because they weren't Jews and they lived in countries that didn't follow the Jewish God. How did they know to look for Jesus? Well, we don't know for sure. But if you back up 600 years before the time that Jesus was born, there was a man named Daniel. He was a Jew. And he was taken captive by a kingdom in the east. And Daniel, he had a lot of skills, very talented, and he was an intellect. He was a smart guy. One of those kings in the east recognized that, and so he appointed Daniel to the position of wise man. He became one of the magi. But here's the thing, quickly... Daniel was promoted. And look at what Daniel chapter 2 tells us. It says, Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Daniel became the one in charge of all the wise men. And this position dictated what the wise men studied and researched. So don't you know that Daniel, who is never afraid to share his faith, I mean, this is the same Daniel from Daniel in the lion's den. Don't you think Daniel took this opportunity to say, hey, why don't we study the Jewish scriptures together? Why don't we study the Old Testament passages together and let's learn about who God is and this Messiah that he's going to send? And I think Daniel looked at these wise men who had all this knowledge and all this wealth and all this status and knew they were still missing something and they would long for what Daniel had to tell them. 
And so for hundreds of years, these wise men, these magi, they waited and they waited and they waited for a sign. And finally, God sent them a sign, a star in the sky, that his son had been born. And when they got word, they left everything. They left their posts. They left all their status. They made this long journey at great cost because they knew the one who had been born king of the Jews had what their souls we're longing for. And guys, we live in a culture today where people are longing for the same thing. We live in a culture today where people have a whole lot, but they're missing on the inside what really matters. And here's the thing about Daniel. Daniel could have got very frustrated and thrown his hands up in the air when he was taken captive and said, you know, now I'm a slave in a foreign country and I don't... I'm away from my family and I don't know anybody here and I'm away from my homeland and this is just awful. God, why did you let this happen to me? He could have got very frustrated and mad at God, but he didn't. Instead, he let God open up an opportunity for him to tell people about God's son. And God did something unexpected with that opportunity. And guys, I hope that you are praying this Christmas that God does something unexpected in your life. Because I believe he wants to. I hope you're praying for an unexpected opportunity to tell somebody about his son. Next Sunday, we're going to have an opportunity. Have our Christmas meals. We're going to have our normal services at normal times. But after the services are done, we want every single family in our church to take a care package to another family in need. A care package that will have a meal in it. You can sign up online. I challenge you today, sign up for families. We've got a ton of families who need these meals. And maybe this will be an opportunity for you to show somebody the love of Jesus. But you don't have to wait until next Sunday. We've got an opportunity for you today. As you leave today, on the way out the door, there will be some people with some baskets. And in those baskets are going to be little cards. They look like our invite cards for Christmas, but they're not. They're different because on the back of them, instead of having our service times they have a little act of kindness or act of love that we want to challenge you to do this week. Like one might say, take a cup of hot chocolate to a crossing guard or something like that. We don't know. Maybe if you do that, God will use that in a powerful way, a way that you can't even think of right now. Maybe it will be an unexpected opportunity for you to tell somebody or show somebody his son. Because here's the thing. The birth of Jesus reminds us that God does unexpected things at unexpected times through unexpected people. And you might be looking at yourself right now and say, what can I do? What can I do? God uses unexpected people in unexpected times to do unexpected things. I pray that God uses you in an unexpected way this Christmas. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and the chance we had to be gathered together as your people in this place. And Father, I just pray that we will be those who worship your son in the midst of a world that often doesn't, but we will not just worship him personally. We will also share the good news of your son with others because there are people out there longing for that news, longing for what he has to offer them. It's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen.